Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. I'm just a messenger, let me just pass on the rock Browning, brunning, bruning, pronouncing ain't what he's doing What he's doing is not losing, but infusing you with new things And there's Dennis the Bennett, yeah The man is a menace, yeah Building a dynasty, some of the finest things Promise you, you won't regret it Slice a fox, cultured in pop, give him his props Here is a thought, here is a box And you cannot compare him at all, so don't even try Careful with the news, but when you use a take I take up Tony Fire, I mean dire Because anyone else is a huge mistake Whoa, fantasy round table, fantasy, fantasy round table Fantasy round table, come take a look at the crown, baby Hey, fantasy round table, fantasy, fantasy round table Fantasy round table, come take a look at the crown, baby Go! Hello and welcome to another episode of the Fantasy Football Roundtable Podcast. While Dennis spent his uh, weekend in the Fantasy Football Expo, I I worked a lot, then went home and watched and re-watched Hard Knocks first episode, just wishing I could be part of uh, Dan Campbell's staff. But Dennis, how was your weekend? Dude, my weekend was phenomenal. It was nonstop fantasy football action at the Fantasy Football Expo in Canton, Ohio. Shout out to Bob Lung. It was a killer event. Everything from the uh, Drew Davenport putting together the poker icebreaker, which Rich of Dynasty Nerds, where I happened to work, finished fifth. There were seven tables of like seven players, and Rich finished fifth of all the players. So... That was a that got us off to a great start. A phenomenal first night party out at the I think they call it like Capitol Square or something. And it but it's outdoor. Uh, Dwight Peebles, you know him on uh, uh, Twitter as the Peebles Champ, was the DJ there that night. It was all they had the Browns game up on a giant giant screen. Bunch of people, all the big names in the business there. Uh, Bob Harris, John Hanson, Joe Dolan, you know, people just walking around, hanging out, talking to people, talking fantasy football. Uh, Saturday, draft night out, hosted a great big, like, I don't know how many drafts they did. There was a fantasy football or a uh, fantasy football teams made up for flag football. Four went out for Ray GQ. He tore his Achilles on, I think, the first play. Uh, so he he uh, he went down. But they got to play on the field at the stadium at the Hall of Fame while people were up in the stands watching. By people, I mean guys like me. We were all there for the, the event. 
Another uh, big party Saturday night at the field. So there were lots of people there again. Um, Sirius XM broadcasting live from the Kings Classic, broadcasting live from the Expo. Howard Bender was there, Kendall Valenzuela. Um, it was it was a phenomenal event. And then on Sunday, it was the actual Expo. And there were 50 booths from everybody from NBC Sports Edge with Denny Carter and Pat Corain. Um Dynasty Nerds was there. We, you know, we were putting out campus to Canton, had a booth. They were Dynasty Trade Calculator, um, all kinds of panels, Dynasty Strategies, Auction Strategies. Um, the Women of Fantasy Football had a panel. There were a, a lot of the great ladies from there. I think next year they may be doing a Queen's Classic draft, um, not just the King's Classic, but the Queen's Classic, an all-female league. Um, and then I, I had to leave. I left and went went to the lake to a cabin with my family Sunday night. So about four o'clock, I, I bolted and was headed headed off to the woods. And I had such FOMO looking at all the, the videos posted from karaoke night Sunday night with all the people that weren't going out, weren't leaving until today. Definitely next year, I'm staying until Monday. But I think we're about a... a two years away from this being a month-long event. <laughs> month-long event. Well, we had very different weekends. Yours was like talking about the Buffalo Bills. Mine is like the division we're turning to uh, now as we, we begin the final division in our division countdown, the NFC East. But before we get to the uh, top of the NFC East – I wanted to touch base with you on a couple of news items. Uh, we recorded uh, early uh, last week doing Tuesday, um, even though it dropped on Friday because uh, Matt and Dennis got to go to the Fantasy Football Expo. And in between, James White announced his retirement for the Patriots. We had just talked about the Patriots last Monday and a little bit of the quagmire at running back. White's uh, retirement, a little bittersweet, maybe clears up a little of the quagmire, but how do you feel uh, White will be remembered and what do you think it means for the Patriots? I think White will be remembered probably as, oh, he's a great PPR guy. You could always count on him. But the truth of the matter was, you know, he was pretty up and down. He did produce some games when he played. And, And part of that fluctuation, I think, was, how the Patriots used him. You know, they are so game plan specific under Bill Belichick and, and Josh McDaniel that, you know, a running back could go out and carry the ball 25 times for 150 yards and three touchdowns. And then next week, the game plan is so different. They might get seven carries for 30 yards and not get any other opportunities. So White would, would deliver when he was called upon. He's going to be remembered very fondly uh, in New England lore, um, but he was a he was a good running back, a capable running back. You know, I remember as a Big Ten fan, Ohio State fan, watched him a lot uh, at Wisconsin, and uh, you know he was impressive in college. And then he went on to become this this receiving back. I think they're gonna plug and play with another back, and you know they'll keep shuffling their backs and be game plan specific. Uh, we saw J.J. Taylor last year do some of the things James White did in limited opportunity. In the preseason this year, they've uh, thrown the ball some to Pierre Strong. It'll be interesting to watch how it shakes out because uh, most of their backs are on the bigger side. Uh, I I don't know that they'll be looking to s- scrape somebody off the scrap heap and and make them the new PPR back. Um, you know, they've got what, five different backs, even though Brandon Bolden, who – likely would have been the heir apparent has gone to Las Vegas. So I feel like the passing down back is a battle between Pierre Strong and J.J. Taylor. Or maybe Kevin Harris. Um, You know, it was thought that they snatched those rookie backs because they were looking toward the future. There were a lot of rumblings about Pierre Strong starting to take on the James White role while he was kind of on pup. So that could be a natural fit. Um, we know, you know no- Kevin Harris, the only I, I'm not buying into Kevin Harris taking that role, because if you remember back to draft season, uh, the venerable Lance Zierlein in his write up of Kevin Harris said something to the effect of 
He catches the football like it's lava. It's the Patriots, man. I'm not putting anything past them. I think all five of the guys that we mentioned are going to be involved at some point. Still remains a backfield. You're not. You're never going to feel confident. Confident. Kevin, Kevin Harris is very Jordan Howard esque. White, though, you know, he had some great years. He was uh, a very reliable for for a little stretch there, kind of late stage Patriots. Tom Brady, um, you know, this helped win them a Super Bowl. Um, I thought he was he was a good player. Kind of a rough end here between the injuries, and you know he missed a significant chunk of time because of what happened with his parents. That was kind of a sad story, but he was a great uh, a great role player, one of many that was responsible for that Patriots success. And uh, I hope he enjoys the post NFL life. Uh, the other one is another piece that kind of goes. We talked about the Makai Becton injury and what it might mean for the Jets. Well, the Jets wasted no time. Um, in defeating all of our analysis, which actually did include, we thought Dwayne Brown was coming, but Dwayne Brown officially signed. A lot of rumors are he's going to go to left tackle and George Fant will slide back to right tackle. What does this mean for the Jets, who, of course, also lose Zach Wilson now um, for two weeks, four weeks, or longer, depending on what the California surgeon says about his knee? You know... Dwayne Brown is a serviceable offensive tackle at this point. Um, he's, what, 32, 33 years old. He's getting up there in age, and we see sometimes um, – we probably see guys fall off more so than we do see them play till they're 40 like Andrew Whitworth. Uh, and I think that's part of the reason why they're going to make the switch, put Fant back at right tackle and put Brown at left tackle because Brown has always played left tackle – uh, and he's done it for so much longer that I don't think they feel like he would make the transition as well. Um, I, you know, I forget who the lineman was that was asked about switching from right to left or left to right and, and basically made the analogy that it was like trying to wipe your butt with the other hand. And yeah, I heard that too. That was on the NFL radio. Um, boy, I don't remember who it was either. It was somebody who played for the Raiders who they did yeah. that to him, and he said it caused him to tear his hip flexor. I, Fant at least has played, right? He's played um, both sides, yeah. So hopefully, um, hopefully he's ambidextrous on his wiping. You know, yeah. Just... I, you know, I think Fant also is serviceable. I think across the offensive line in general, they are improved from last year. Um, how much is going to be a real key, and. You know, they've got some weapons around Zach Wilson, and, you know, we're all monitoring what's going on with the surgery. If they have to do, I think what, what it's called is a um, just a cleanup procedure, debridement, debridement or something like that. Debridement. If they have to just do that, then, you know, that seems like and maybe I've got it backwards and that's the serious surgery, but I feel like that might just be the, the cleanup touch-up, but... I mean, it's looking better today because there was a period of time, honestly, on I think it was Friday that those games were where it was rumored that both uh, Drake London and Zach Wilson were going to miss the entire season. And now it's back to Drake London's day to day and Zach Wilson. There's an outside possibility he starts opening day. If it's not Zach Wilson, do you think it's Mike White or Joe Flacco? Uh, I think it's Joe Flacco just because I think he brings a certain – um, veteran leadership to the position. It was interesting today. I saw a clip where Garrett Wilson was asked about the difference between Zach Wilson and Joe Flacco's, how they throw the ball. And he was very complimentary. I think uh, it, the, the way it came out, the potential exists for it to be like, oh, he was dogging Zach Wilson. Because what he said was that Joe Flacco throws a, a more catchable ball. He takes he's got a better feel for when to throw soft and when to throw hard. And my thought is, well, I would expect a 16-year <laughs> veteran to maybe have a little better feel for that than a second-year guy who spent his first year getting knocked out of games and running for his life. So I I don't think it's that big a deal and hopefully it doesn't get made into a big deal. Um, it's just kind of, it is what it is. The veteran 
has a better feel for how to throw a more catchable ball. So I do think it would be, it'll be Flacco unless he falls on his face and then they go to white. I think it's probably Flacco. Part of me wants to see Mike White because I really enjoyed watching him play last year. I'd be curious to see how it goes. But either way, White came Jets in and lit jet. it up for six quarters and then face planted. So, yeah, well, I mean, uh, if he only has to play one game, that's in that six quarter margin. Right. Speaking of teams that like to face plant, uh, let's talk about a team I actually did watch this weekend because they were playing the Denver Broncos, and that was the Dallas Cowboys. I. I got all the Cooper Rush snaps you can handle this week. Uh, I'm praying that when I watch games in September, I'm not seeing uh, the Dallas Cowboy offense that I saw on Saturday night in Denver because it made me sad. Uh, they finished 11-6 and six last year, won the NFC East, lost in the wildcard round, or had the game stolen from them by some poor officiating, depending on who you ask. Yes, I'm still bitter. Key departures this year. Uh, they had traded Amari Cooper to the Browns. Blake Jarwin is gone, remains unsigned. Cedric Wilson went to the Dolphins. Lyle Collins went to the Bengals. Randy Gregory went to the Broncos. Greg Zerline went to the Jets. Keanu Neal went to the Buccaneers. And DeMonte Casey went to the Is there Jets. anybody left? Uh, they had a lot of departures, a lot more departures than you remember. Luckily for them, they went out and got some key additions. They signed James Washington, who promptly broke his foot. Uh, they signed Anthony Barr at linebacker, and they signed Dante Fowler Jr., who's already in midseason form and got a couple of personal foul penalties in a preseason game on Saturday night. Key rookies, they drafted Jalen Tolbert, who will probably see a little bit of time at wide receiver, and they drafted Jake Ferguson, who actually caught a few passes on Saturday night at tight end. They still have a pretty good lineup coming back this offseason. They invested in Michael Gallup with a long-term contract. He's working his way back from a knee injury, and they also tagged Dalton Schultz at tight end. Amari Cooper's gone. Gallup is recovering, and James Washington also recovering. What do you expect early season for Dak, C.D. Lamb, who should be the wide receiver one, and my boy, Dalton Schultz? Well, I definitely think the funnel narrows a lot quicker. You know, there's some talk about Jalen Tolbert stepping up. Um, it wouldn't surprise me to see them maybe add a veteran to the mix now that uh, Washington has injured his foot. Uh, I drafted a few shares of Washington in best ball, and I was pairing him up nicely with DeAndre Hopkins, figuring Washington's going to be, you know, this, probably the number two wide receiver in Dallas for about six weeks, and then Hopkins and Gallup are both coming back. And so Hopkins would take uh, Washington snaps, and I'm like, well, I would rather, as much as I like Michael Gallup, I'm taking DeAndre Hopkins over him. And then James James Washington broke his foot. There's some talk that it may be a Jones fracture. And so we've seen that be a you know six- or eight-week recovery, and we've seen that be a season-ender. Uh it wouldn't surprise me, depending on how the uh, Cowboys wide receivers play, if Jalen Tolbert steps up or Semi Fajoko in his second year. Uh, our lads already has Tolbert running with the first team. Um, you know, the opportunity is there for some guys to kind of make their name. You know, C.D. Lamb is the guy, though. He's going to get the most targets. Dalton Schultz will get. Uh, a lot of targets. And then Tony Pollard and Ezekiel Elliott are both really good pass catchers out of the backfield. So it's not like they're hurting for weapons. Um, for me, I, I want to see, uh, I, I want to see who steps up. It's kind of a wait and see approach because they do have those other options with, with Tolbert wouldn't, you know, we see Noah Brown make plays uh, lots of can't buzz about Fihoko. So it's really, it's a lot of no names and a lot of, it's a lot of never was not so much has been's, but never was you know, I, I, I love Noah Brown cause he did well when he played at Ohio state, but he's never climbed higher than the wide receiver four for the Dallas Cowboys. They brought him back. They've kept him around. He's good on special teams and makes plays when he's called upon. He just doesn't have what it takes to be a long-term starter in the NFL. And so Jalen Tolbert is really the wild card there. 
can he uh, can he be the deep threat starting out and hold off uh, the others until Michael Gallup comes back and allow C.D. Lamb the space underneath? So I don't put a lot of stock in preseason, but sometimes the early preseason games are interesting for the players that they choose not to play, um, especially because it kind of gives you an impression about how they feel about needing them in more important games. I was interested that Jalen Tolbert started the game, didn't do a lot. Simi Fehoko actually looked pretty good at times and ended up catching the lone touchdown for the Cowboys. No Brown, they held him out. And I'm starting to wonder if that Noah Brown was fourth because he was behind Gallup and Cooper and Cedric Wilson. And maybe with all that kind of clearing out a little bit, he might be a guy that gets a little more run um, is something to watch. But I'm with you. Like I, I like Lamb going into the season. I think this is the year he goes into wide receiver one territory. I also think they loved what they had in Schultz, and they loved the dynamic of using wide receiver and a tight end. That's something we've seen as hallmarks of Dallas offense in the past. I think Schultz is going to be in for a monster season. He's a guy for me that's a dark horse candidate to be tight end one. Um, He's had great rapport with Dak the last two years when he came in and filled in for an injured Jarwin the year prior, he looked good. And that's why I thought he might take work away from Jarwin last year. Everybody was talking about Blake Jarwin snapping back, but Schultz has just established himself. That's why they franchise tagged him. I like him and lamb a lot. I think they're going to be the focus of the passing game. I would not be surprised to see lamb as it finishes a wide receiver one Schultz in the tight end one and Dak in the QB one. Yeah. I mean, Schultz had the same number of targets as Amari Cooper last year. And from an athletic perspective, Jarwin just profiled better as an athlete. But we've seen it time and time again at the tight end position that you don't have to be the best athlete to consistently get open. And Schultz is an adequate athlete. You know, he's, mm-hmm. no, you know, he's not you know, some of these statues you've seen at the position. Well, that's. I'm wondering if we're going to see kind of like a a return to a Dallas offense that looks like what they had when they had Des Bryant and um, Jason Witten, where you had two excellent pass catchers. You know, they will probably be a little bit better than that when they get a Gallup, who I think is better than most of the complimentary receivers they they placed opposite Des. And, you know, I'm hoping James Washington bounce back. It's a little bit of a bummer that a guy kind of took a one-year prove-it deal and then has that fracture. If he ends up missing a whole season, be interesting to see. And even, you know, missing this, these kind of, you know, for veterans who have been on the same team and in the same system for 10 years, missing training camp, you probably get past it. But for a guy who's new trying to come in, trying to build rapport, missing a lot of these reps, missing the preseason time to get the timing down and potentially missing, you know, six or seven games and then trying to work yourself into shape and work in a rapport in October, especially if a guy like Noah Brown or Jalen Tolbert hits, um, could be a little bit of a lost season. I, like you, had was hoping my James Washington shares were going to kind of perk up, but a little bit of a bummer. Won't be paying off this year. <laughs> Zeke was a top 10 back in 2021. Do you think that happens again? And how do we feel about the split with Pollard? I think, you know, I'm still debating if I think it does. It definitely can. Uh, You know, the challenge with Zeke is that he's just become less inefficient. He's become less efficient as the offensive line has become less elite. Uh, Tyron Smith is one of the most athletic left tackles in the game, but with his back issues for the past few years, he misses a significant amount of time. They let Lyle Collins walk. They let, uh, I think they let somebody else walk. Um, They've got a couple young guys that they've brought into the team. Didn't they have a retirement? I feel like their center. Yeah. I'm I'm trying. uh, It was their right tackle that retired, I think. And I forget who, I forget what his name was. Um, and so they've, they, they have some challenges on their, their offensive line. I think with the, what they have, what they've lost at wide receiver, i.e. Gallup and Cooper and Zeke losing his efficiency, you know, he's still 
he went from a guy that I think would average four and a half or five yards a carry with some explosive plays to a, you know, a four yard grinder, 3.8 yard grinder. He's still an effective pass rusher and he may be the best running back in the league at protecting the quarterback in the passing game, uh, which that's, that alone will keep him on the field. However, we don't play in a point per block league. So that could uh, end up costing him some of his productivity. Pollard is just so explosive. And part of it is just because he's young. I think they're going to try to get him involved in the passing game. I think Zeke still out carries him this year. What did they have last year? 237 to 130. So Zeke still had 100 carries more than Pollard. Um, But Pollard averaged 5.5 yards a carry, where Zeke averaged 4.2. Zeke had 10 touchdowns to Pollard's two. Pollard caught 39 passes, though, to Zeke's 47. So the passing game really is probably going to be more Pollard than Zeke this year. So we're heading into the the, late career Adrian Peterson running back grinder stretch, I think, for Zeke. You know, he's he's making good money. He's carried the ball a lot in his career, and your body can only take so much. We've seen it with Eddie George and Adrian Peterson and all these bigger backs that take a lot of hits and dish out a lot of punishment. Time just is undefeated with them. So Pollard is going to – I don't know if he's going to take a bigger share but the share he gets, he's going to be significantly more productive with it. And I I think right now Dallas is kind of weighing, you know, how do we be loyal to Zeke but get the better back on the field more or get the more explosive back on the field more because that's what they're going to need with the damage and the age, the, the you know, trying to rebuild their offensive line. And, and being down wide receivers, they're going to need explosive plays. And I think Pollard and Lamb are the two guys that are going to provide that. Yeah, and, you know, I think you bring up a good point. Between Cooper and Cedric Wilson, they vacated 165 targets. You figure Gallup, you know, probably eat some Schultz, uh, but he's going to miss some games. Schultz and um, Schultz and Lamb were both over 100. They might go up a little bit. But Zeke getting 65 targets last year, I th- I think passing to the running back is going to be a bigger part of the passing game, and I do agree with you. I think Pollard's a guy that they're going to want to do that, especially when you're doing those quick screens and outs like that. You want the guy that's more explosive, that's better in space. So I wouldn't be surprised if Zeke remains kind of the grinder and also seems to probably be the back that they keep in the red zone more. Um, I think he'll still end up in running back two range, but it's going to be worth worth watching. He finished higher than I than I seem to remember based on how I felt like he played right. uh, last year when I was going and running looking back at the, seven. Yeah, yeah. When I was looking at the fantasy finish, I'm like running back seven. You don't say. And Pollard was a little bit lower than I was expecting, and I think it comes down to touchdowns, and that's. That's going to be the question. If Zeke's still the guy that from one yard out is pounding it in uh, and Pollard doesn't get a lot of breakaway plays, you might maintain that running back two, running back three split. Well, Zeke is going off the board as running back 17. He's being picked right at the beginning of the fifth round. ADP is 49.3. Pollard is going RB30 and running uh, an ADP of 99.6. So there's a significant gap between them. Is it enough to close from Pollard's RB28 finish last year? Does it you know, does that make him a where does he have to finish to pay off on that um that ADP? I think if Pollard can can make it into the RB2s, finishes RB, you know, 23-22, um I think that's a great payoff there. I don't well, I think there's the possibility that Zeke can have a top 10 finish. I don't think there's a lot of value in that RB17 ADP. I think I, I feel like the the uh, unless he has a big touchdown season, let's see what of his what what of his touchdown uh, 
Well, that's the thing. If we were going to talk about his rookie year, 12 in 2019, and then 10 last year. So he would have to have a big touchdown season, I think, this year to move into the top 10. Well, and that's, you know, when you talk about the ADP, I don't think there's any particular value for most of the Cowboys. The ADP that gives me the most value to me is probably Schultz. And I say that because Cooper had eight touchdowns last year. Um, and I think when you get down into the red zone and stuff, I expect Lamb's touchdowns will come up a little off of his six. Schultz had eight last year, but I think he could get into double digits the way that they're playing. And that's why I said I think he has sneaky tight end one value. I like him at least to be in the top three. And he's going behind some of those big five tight ends. If you find somebody that's more in love with Darren Waller, I'd rather have Schultz, honestly, situationally. Yeah, I think part of it, I think, is that with the new head coach and the new scheme in Las Vegas – can you really count on it versus we, we, I think we feel like we know how they're going to use Dalton Schultz this year and they've taken away or gave up a couple of the weapons around him, which is better for Schultz. So I agree Schultz going off the board is tight end six being picked at uh, with an ADP of 61.5 in super flex leagues. I think that's, that does provide, I mean, he, he could be the tight end one. Now, I, I think it's going to be Travis Kelsey because I think he's going to get 197 targets uh, and convert them because, you know, as much as I love Marquez Valdez-Gantling, you know, there's only so many. You know, You've actually people. seen him play football, so you're you moderating know, expectations. I, I do like, you know, my expectations for MBS have, have always been realistic. Um, so, you know, Schultz does have an outside shot to being the tight end one. Um, but it would be very much touchdown based, I think. Cowboys won 11 games last year, won the NFC East. There has been a string, I think it's going over more than a decade, where they have not had consecutive division winners. Cowboys have the highest over under at 10. Do they win back to back NFC East championships? And how do you feel about their over under? I think their over under is right on the number. Um, in part because of Mike McCarthy. I think Mike McCarthy really caps the ceiling of this team. You know, they they followed up on being the most penalized team in 2021 with a preseason game where I believe they took 15 penalties for 130 yards. Yeah, it was, uh, it was a rough game. Um, it, but it's not necessarily the penalties. I just don't think McCarthy is necessarily a creative head coach when it comes to offense. Um, I'm going to take the under. I, I Honestly, uh, I, I'm coming around. I'm buying into Jalen Hurts. And so I, you're ready to get hurt again. I am ready to get hurts again. So <laughs> I, I, I think I'm going to take the under here. Dallas Cowboys. I wish I knew how to quit you. Um, I'm taking the slide over. I think they get to 11 wins again. I think they win the East, and God damn it, they better not break my heart again. Although I feel like they're one more catastrophic offensive injury away from from being really bad. Like if they lost, if they lost Dak, their options behind him right now, absent trading for like Jimmy G, are Will Greer, Cooper Rush, and Ben DiNucci. Well, we saw DiNucci. Well, you know what? That was a sad story. Why don't you tell us about something a little more upbeat being offered by our friends over at DraftKings? Football fans, join the next generation of fantasy football with Rainmakers Football, their first ever NFT fantasy game from DraftKings. It's the only NFT fantasy game licensed by the NFLPA. Now you can play all season for millions in prizes by building the ultimate NFT franchise. Right now, everyone can get their first full roster starter pack for free. Zero, nada, zip. Playing Rainmakers is simple. Buy, sell, bid, and win player card NFTs of the biggest names in the game through regular drops and auctions on DraftKings Marketplace. Craft lineups of athletes from your NFT collection and earn points for touchdowns, receptions, and more, just like daily fantasy football. Build your NFT franchise and enter free Rainmakers football contest 
all season long to compete for millions of prizes. The next generation of fantasy sports is here. Download the DraftKings Daily Fantasy app now. Sign up with promo code TPPN. Click the million or click the Rainmakers tile and opt in to get your first free card. Plus, play for millions in prizes all season long while building the ultimate NFT fantasy franchise with Rainmakers Football. That's promo code TPPN. Build, play, win. Only at DraftKings. Contest entries dependent on the type and number of NFTs held. Eligibility eligibility restrictions apply. Voidware prohibited. See DraftKings.com for details. I understood a few of those words. Yeah. Well, the second half of the top of the NFC East is the surprising Philadelphia Eagles. They finished 10 and 7 last year, making it to the playoffs. They lost in the wild card round, but it was pretty exciting that they made it, especially based on the fact that many people, I believe myself included, thought they were like a two win team. Uh, key departures, they didn't really have anyone of note depart, but in the offseason, they pushed all their chips in with the man, the myth, the legend that we just talked about, Jalen Hurts, by getting him a brand new shiny wide receiver one in A.J. Brown. Uh, they also went and got Hassan Reddick at outside linebacker and James Bradbury at cornerback, kind of helping build up that defense. They also focused on the defense in the draft. They got Grant Calcaterra at the tight end to add to that room, but they went and got Jordan Davis, one of the best defensive tackles on the board, and Nicobe Dean just kept sliding until he landed right in that soft spot in Philadelphia. This defense looks pretty good on paper, but it's fantasy. So let's turn to the offensive side of the ball. Big season three for Jalen Hurts, second full season as a starter. Got him to the playoffs last year. Didn't always look rock solid, but now he has A.J. Brown, Devonta Smith, Dallas Goddard, and somewhere breaking our hearts, Jalen Rager on the end of the bench. Also went and got him Zach Pascal, who came in from the Colts. How do you feel about Hurts, and how do you feel about these big three targets? Is there enough to go around? You know, I think that's the real question is, is there enough to go around? Um, I think Devonta Smith is the guy who will suffer the most. Um, let me find my numbers I'm looking here for. So they were dead last last year, they being the Eagles, in pass attempts. I do think that comes – I mean, it was only one behind Seattle, but still dead last. Uh, they were the only two teams under 500 attempts. Uh I think that's going to go up. I think Hertz is going to get better. I don't think they're going to all of a sudden start throwing 650 passes. Uh, Much like Baltimore and Lamar Jackson, I think Philadelphia knows here's what Jalen Hertz can do. He's got a ceiling on his passing, and let's go ahead and do the things that he does well. He had, uh, let's see, 62% completion rate, or no, that was the team completion. He was 61.3% um, completion rate. So he's got to improve that. If he can add four or five points to his completion rate, uh, you know, I could see them going 560 pass attempts. Still, that's going to be in the bottom, bottom third of, uh, NFL teams when it comes to pass attempts. I like Hertz a lot. I think his rushing ability is going to be uh, one of the things that that really helps this team. And you know he's built really solidly. He's not uh, he's he's not a, a skinny guy. I don't think you want your quarterback leading your team in rush attempts like he did last year. Um, But I also think, too, that they had as much as uh, Philadelphia wants to use multiple backs, and they will use multiple backs, uh, they faced some injuries last year. I don't think anybody expected Jordan Howard to get 86 rush attempts. Um, Miles Sanders was second on the team with 137, uh, but Sanders missed five games. They're going to spread the ball around in the rushing game, but I do think Sanders has the potential for 200 carries. I know he came out on 
social media and was like, don't draft me. I'm not playing for your fantasy team. I'm playing for the Eagles or whatever the hell it was. But don't get me wrong. I'm sure Miles Sanders is standing there looking at Nick Sirianni going, put me in, coach. I can score the touchdown here. Let me catch the ball, coach. I can catch it and run. He wants the ball as much as he can possibly get it. Um, whether or not that happens, uh, we'll see. That's kind of a Sirianni thing. But the biggest thing for Miles Sanders is it's going to come down to staying healthy. Uh, he's had some health issues going throughout the year or throughout his career. And if he does that, then he'll take some of that rush, uh, those rushing attempts back from Jalen Hurts, I think. Could I see Jalen? You know, Hurts isn't going to all of a sudden drop to 50 rush attempts. He's just too good at it. And he missed two games last year. So I think over 100 carries, 120 carries is probably a reasonable expectation for him. They've got a good offensive line. And so I would expect that his passing is going to improve. They added A.J. Brown to go with Devonta Smith. They've got Dallas Goddard. Uh, and they like all three of those as weapons. I think Hertz is going to have a really, really good year. I don't think he's going to have the passing volume to beat the quarterback one, but I feel like he's going to be top 10 pretty comfortably. Yeah, I have him up in the the. I know I have him top twelve. I think I have him top ten too. His rushing upside is good. Seven is where I have him. The, you know, I don't worry about him because of his rushing upside and everything. I think his fantasy, whether the Eagles are successful or not, and I think the Eagles will be decently successful. The NFC is not a great conference, and I think they're a playoff team. Whether they win the East or make it as a wild card, I think they'll be in the playoffs again. So I'm pretty confident about him. We've seen they got the perfect receiver when you're talking about low-volume pass offense and still shining in fantasy in A.J. Brown because we saw him in Tennessee in the same situation being incredibly efficient. I I am with you. I think there's been a lot of optimism that Dallas Goddard's just going to pop up there in the top 10. You see him go, you know, usually in the tight end 6 to 8 range. He only saw 76 targets last year. Maybe he gets to 80. Um, you know, they don't have a lot of targets that they vacated from last year. Devonta Smith saw 104. You figure A.J. Brown probably becomes the wide receiver one and sees at least 120, which would be on par with some of the volume he saw in Tennessee. <clears throat> but where does that leave Devonta Smith? You know, if he drops down to the 80, 80 target range, I think you're right. He's probably optimistically probably you're lucky if he's in the wide receiver three <clears throat> and Goddard, you know, he, he was pretty efficient on his targets last year, probably can stay low end tight end one AJ Brown probably could, could get to low end wide receiver one. I like him better as a top end wide receiver two. Well, I mean, JJ Ortega white sides, five targets are going to be available. Well, it looks like the biggest target, that they vacated is the 62 from Quez Watkins. Yeah. Uh, is it Watkins? Watkins is still there. He's just pushed down the. Uh... Well, but that's the other thing. So Pascal, who we don't really love to talk about, has secretly been kind of a target monster in terms of crushing our fantasy hopes and dreams. I mean, you look down there, even if they increase their passing. Goddard saw 76. You don't expect, you know, Gainwell was the most targeted running back at 50. You don't really see that peeling back. Rager had 57. Watkins had 62. Ertz had 31. So maybe, you know, with Ertz gone, maybe Goddard gets up to 90 targets, but maybe some of that target splits out to uh, Devonta Smith and to Pascal. Some of those guys are still there. It's going to be, like you said, it's going to be interesting. I think, Hertz is QB one. Brown, I like a little bit better if I could get him as in the wide receiver two range, but he's going all the way up at wide receiver ten because people are incredibly optimistic, and I like the talent. I just he's going to have to continue to be insanely efficient um, at that ADP. I don't see incredible value and wide receiver thirty four for. Um, 
Devonta Smith to me isn't incredible value either because he's probably, you know, last year he finished as wide receiver 30. If he sees fewer targets and dips at all, you're down at 34 or even below that. Um, Goddard's going at tight end eight. He was tight end nine last year. I don't know that he gets significantly more volume. So everything's probably kind of optimistically right in line. But when it comes to the running game, you touched on it a little bit. We have Miles Sanders, a lot of buzz about Kenneth Gainwell in camp. I actually didn't realize until I went back and looked it up that Gainwell finished as the better fantasy back, probably mostly because of that passing work. He finished as RB41. Sanders down there at RB44. You seem a little more bullish on Sanders. We've seen his carries decline each of his three years in the league, as have his targets. What makes you bullish on him? I think from an actual running back talent perspective, he's the most talented running back they have. Uh, I think he's had to battle injuries for most of his career, and they, you know, they've come at not a great time. Uh, it, I know Gainwell got goal line carries last year over Sanders, um, but it's not like Sanders is. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, who failed four times trying to punch it in from the one. You know, Sanders weighs 215 pounds. He's a, he's a sturdy back, 5'10", 5'11". Uh, he, he's got decent power. Sometimes being able, you know, Aaron Jones is a smaller back, and he's great at the goal line. And sometimes it's just a function of, you know, getting the opportunity at the right time and being able to pick the right hole. I think Sanders has shown that he's – a reliable running back. I don't, I don't think he's going to go up in targets much from 35 targets just because of the way Sirianni runs the offense. Um, But I do think Sanders can earn more touches and earn more goal line opportunities. You know, the big concern for me is like if Sanders and Gainwell stay healthy, you know, can they, keep Boston Scott from taking a significant share of the work. You know, he's kind of this journeyman that, that just is a thorn in the side of fantasy managers. You know, he had 87 carries and seven touchdowns last year. He did only catch 13 passes, but I mean, he's a five foot and five foot eight, 205 pound back that had seven rushing touchdowns. He doesn't have the power that Miles Sanders does. Um, but he's been around the team for quite a while, and he just doesn't seem to go away. Uh, to me, that's annoying. You know, Jordan Howard is gone. He had 86 carries last year, um, and he was just brought back because of injuries. They had people that were out. Jordan Howard was kind of familiar with the system. They brought him back and let him uh, get some work in some games. I like Sanders. I think 200 carries is – well within uh, his range of outcomes. Kind of taking a look here to see. You know, He's last never year. had that, though. His highest amount of carries was his rookie year when he had 179. You know, he's you, never, you, I mean, he's never come close, though, because he ebbed down the year after was just over 160, I think, and then last year was 137. He's played 12, 11, 12 games. That's what makes me – I guess that's what makes me nervous. Last year, it's amazing he had zero touchdowns. That's kind of a fluke that you figure he's in line for some positive TD regression just for the amount of plays he was out there. You bring up a decent point about Boston Scott, but the nice thing for Sanders, if you were looking for positive, they didn't go out and greatly add to the backfield. It's still those same three guys, him, Gainwell, Boston Scott, Jason Huntley's still there. So I think the opportunity is still there. As somebody that has him decently high on their Scott Fishbowl team, I'm hopeful that he's in line for a better season. I just I don't see him getting to 200 carries. I don't see Philadelphia committing that way, and I don't see him doing it because we just haven't seen him do it. If he did, that would probably be the best for him because much like his draft contemporaries, Josh Jacobs and David Montgomery, He's coming into the final year of a, of a rookie deal 
where I think he needs to show something because I'm not really convinced that Philadelphia is looking to give him a big second contract. Oh, I think in general, from a running back perspective, most teams are not looking to give a second contract period. Um, and I think, too, that's why the opportunity may exist for him to get additional carries because they're, you know, they'll go in with the attitude that, you know, if he breaks, he breaks. We're going to just draft somebody next year. Yeah. Well, the Eagles' defense has improved. Their offense has a lot of weapons. They won 10 games last year. Their over-under is nine and a half this year. They made the playoffs, won 10 games. Can they go further this year? And how do you feel about this over-under? Uh, it's. I, I feel like I think I, I, I see 10 or 11 wins with this team. I think they're going to win the East. Um, I, like I said, I'm going closer and closer and closer to all in on Jalen Hurts. I, I feel good about what he brings to the table, more so than I, I think I ever have with him. I've kind of been an anti-Jalen Hurts guy. Um, but I, I think he's going to be able to to lead the team to 11 wins, uh, you know, or 10. It, it, the number is nine and a half, so I'm still good with 10 wins. So I, I think they win the division. I think they finish a game ahead of Dallas. Yeah, I'm taking the slide over. I think they win 10 games and make it back as a, as a wild card. <sighs> like I said, Dallas, I wish I knew how to quit you. Um, I still have them just just behind Dallas. I think those two head-to-head matchups are uh, going to uh, going to really make a difference. Either Gator. Gator is also with us over on 9.5 for the Eagles. So <clears throat> that pretty much wraps up the top half of the NFC East. We will be back on Friday. Uh, should have a live show on Friday, which if you've been missing seeing these smiling faces to wrap up your work week, never fear. We will be back, and there will probably be a third smiling face. Matt will be back, recovered from the expo. And we will be looking at former Eagles quarterback Carson Wentz, who is now with the Washington Commanders, and asking ourselves what Brian Dable did in another life to get stuck with the New York Giants. You look Don't like you get to rate and review. All right, take it easy. See you Friday. <laughs>